Broadcasting live from the Business Radio X studios in Nashville, it's time for Nashville Business Radio. Now, here's your host. And hello again, everyone. Welcome to another edition of Nashville Business Radio. I'm John Ray, and I'm excited about this show. This is going to be a good one. We've got Lauren Reed with us, folks, and Lauren is the president and founder of Reed Public Relations. Lauren, welcome. Thanks. I'm so glad to be here. Yeah, it's great to have you. Uh, tell us about you. Tell us about Reed Publication or uh, Reed Public Relations. I was trying to put Everybody all that. Does that. I was trying to put all that together, right? Uh, uh, Reed Public Relations. How are you serving folks out there? Absolutely. Uh, so my background is PR and marketing. I'm one of the the few who actually decided my freshman year in college, I wanted to work in public relations. And I still don't know exactly why. Um, a seed was planted and it just sort of went from there. So I've been, I started at an agency two days out of college. I stayed there eight years. And then I started Reed. Um, we're coming up on nine years in July. So agency life is, I eat, sleep, and breathe it. It's what I know. It's what I love. So at Reed, we... Um, we focus on a lot of, well, we do consumer and professional services, but I'm going to talk specifically about consumer right now um, because that's just what what we're working on primarily. Mm-hmm. And over the past year, it's been a lot of crisis communications regarding the pandemic. So that's really kind of what's been keeping us busy. That's to be honest, what kept us employed um, <laughs> over the last year when, you know, Restaurants didn't need us to put beds in seats. Hotels didn't need us to put heads in beds. So we we pivoted to crisis communications, and that's still primarily kind of what we're doing. Mm. Yeah, uh, so a lot to unpack there, but I want to talk about, before we get into some of the specifics of that, um, let's talk about you. Uh, you've got a great story about learning how to accept failure. Yes. From a failed climb, I guess, right? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Talk about that. Yeah, and it's so interesting that I can talk about it now when I thought it was so devastating, you know, just 18 months ago. Mm-hmm. But I went with a group from Entrepreneurs Organization um, to Mount Kilimanjaro in Africa. Mm-hmm. And we, our plan was, you know, to summit Mount Kilimanjaro, world's tallest freestanding mountain. Um, so altitude's like, I think 19,500 feet, I believe. And, you know, I trained for it for a year. I was so excited to check this goal, you know, off my bucket list and it didn't happen. So I, you know, I got altitude sickness starting about 12,000 feet of altitude. So I'm from Nashville. I think I live maybe at what a thousand feet of altitude. So (laughs) Uh, this, you know, sea level girl hasn't had a lot of experience with high altitude or at the time I hadn't. Sure. And, um, on the second day I started to get pretty sick and, uh, you know, kept making it up the mountain, but on summit night. So we left, um, so we were going to leave at midnight to make the summit by sunrise. And, you know, we, we all went, after a long day of hiking, we had dinner. Then we went back to our tents to sleep for a few hours at like, let's say six or seven. Um, and I was just getting progressively worse and throwing up. But I 
I'm a little stubborn. I still thought I would make the summit. And um, when I met the group at midnight, there were six of us and then our guides and our guide, um, his name was Marco. He, he looked at me and was like, you, you got to go back down the mountain. Um, I was just my oxygen levels and stuff were not what they needed to be. I was very loopy. I was out of it. Um, so, and he, I remember he looked at me, I, I have two kids at home. Um, mm. so Jack Henry is 11 and Annie's four. So, uh, at the time three and 10, but he said, you have two, you know, this mountain will always be here, but you have two kids at home waiting for you. And it's unsafe for you to try and make the summit. So that was after about five days of hiking, we had one three mile hike left, um, the summit bid, and I didn't get to attempt it. So it's funny. Um, I joke 2019 Lauren thought that that was the most, um, devastating thing that could ever happen to me. Right. (laughs) And then we entered a pandemic, (laughs) but (laughs) yeah, what I learned from that though, was I learned so much more, um, not summiting. And I just more personal growth came from that than had I actually summited. Mm. Really? Say more about that. Failure. Right. Yeah. So I'm, I've always just been a really focused person and I set big goals and I make plans and I meet the big goals. And this is the first time I didn't meet a big goal. And not only was it the first time, but it was a very public first time, right? Mm -hmm. Like I trained for a year, talked about my training. I was so excited. I'm sure my friends were sick of hearing about it, (laughs) you know, flew over to Africa and yeah, everyone knew, you know, everyone was sending me good luck notes and then I didn't make it. But, um, you know, leading up to the trip, it's funny in hindsight, I look back and I was, you know, just kind of praying, Hey, you know, this is, I just want to have a really good experience and I want to grow from this. And I think the universe just knew um, more growth would come from failure for me. Mm, mm. Yeah. And, and that takes some uh, grace, maturity. I mean, there are a lot of different qualities that you have to have internally to be able to accept that. Well, make no mistake. I cried the whole way down the mountain. <laughs> and I, I had a pity party. Well, well, I think you could be allowed that. So yeah, yeah after all that planning and, and work yeah, for sure. But no, it, um, that was kind of a turning point for me too. You know, just life happens. You can't control everything. I've spent, you know, I was, I'm 38 now. So I was 36 at the time, but then I had spent 36 years, um, you know, just trying to control everything Mm. and something like that. Like it was out of my control. Yeah. So, so you, the business lesson, is there things that come out of our control that we've got to accept and we've got to deal with and we've got to navigate. And obviously the pandemic was one of those things for all of us. Talk about the challenges that you faced uh, the resilience that you've obviously displayed in the midst of all that. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, failing to summit Killy was the best, um, best training I think I could have gotten for 2020. Mm. <laughs> it taught me, you know, the hits are going to keep on coming, but it's how it's about how you react. Like you mentioned, you know, grace and resilience, and it's just, it's about how you react. Like you can allow yourself, you know, your little pity party, but then you got to, you got to, you know, put on your big girl pants and just keep moving forward because we have responsibilities. I have 10 employees who 
um, you know, their livelihood is based on my ability to keep this us going in a business. Mm -hmm. So we, so 2020, so gosh, it's, uh, I can't believe it was a whole year ago. I'm like reliving all of this. So March Mm. 15th, I was, um, that's kind of to me, like, you know, D-Day, like that's when it got real. I was in Tahoe skiing and the resort got closed. The ski slopes got closed and, you know, flew back to Nashville. And for about two weeks, um, we, it, my phone just kept ringing and it was clients putting us on pause. We lost 40% of our company in two weeks. Mm. Um, it was two weeks after we just moved into this new office space that I'm sitting in right now, Mm -hmm. um, you know, had spent a year building it out on a, signed a 10 year lease. Like, so, but again, all of this stuff is good because failure was not an option for me when it came to the pandemic. I had a lot on the line. Right. And, um, so we sat there and we had our pity party, my, my business partner and I, and we've worked together for 14 years. So we are, we uh, know each other pretty much inside and out and how we react to things within the business. Um, and we're really aligned on things like that too. So we had our pity party, but then we just said, okay, what do we do from here? So restaurants and hotels, which was a big part of our work um, in like tourism attractions, you know, we had a big water park, things like that. Like clearly you don't need us right now. And they're putting us on pause, but who does need us? So we just kind of sat down and we looked for three things. We're like, who, who needs PR and marketing during a pandemic? Who um, likely wouldn't have an agency already? And where, where can we make some inroad or where do we already have some inroads? So it wouldn't be just a complete cold call sort of situation. And it turned out um, we pretty quickly narrowed it down to the senior living industry we had a couple clients in the industry already, not a ton, but we had enough of a background there to lend us some credibility. We had a lot of connections in that network as well. Um, a senior living operator likely is not going to already have a PR marketing agency. They have a sales team typically. Mm-hmm. They don't usually have existing relationships with someone like our group. And um we so we sat down one night and we spent about five hours each, my partner and I on LinkedIn, literally messaging um all of the senior oper- living operators, you know, with at least like 10 or so facilities or communities under them. And just sending a message like, hey, you know, here's what's going on, here's what we're seeing. We're working with a few folks like you. Um, you know, if you don't have your team pulled together already and want to brainstorm, we're here. And that we ended up replacing all of the clients we lost plus some, and we had our best year yet. Wow. Part of it was because of one night where we sat down on LinkedIn. Wow. Yeah. It's, um, I always joke our business has a guardian angel, so I can't take full credit, but it's things like that, that, um, you know, we just had to be resilient and like roll with the punches and, you know, kind of like Killy. Okay. That was out of my control. It happened. I can't talk these clients into staying when they don't have guests, right? Like sure. they don't have any, so I can't talk them into doing anything. So I'm like, that's out of my control. So let me focus on the people I can impact. And it turned out to be the senior living industry. 
And a really cool um, thing is that that has parlayed into a lot of now proactive marketing and PR work for this industry, whereas before they weren't doing a lot of that. Mm. So um, because of the pandemic, we're our business wise, we're actually better off because we made a lot of new connections in an industry we weren't really ingrained in before. Folks, we're here chatting with Lauren Reed. Lauren is the president and founder of Reed Public Relations. Lauren, I would submit that, uh, uh, you know, you may have a guardian angel, but if you curl up into a ball and don't do anything, then, right. it, you know, that it makes it a little tough to come out of the uh, ditch, shall we say. Yeah. Sounds like one of the things you learned on your um, uh, really year-long journey to try to climb that mountain and all the all the work that you did to try to get there was resilience and um and determination so you know that's that's one thing it sounds like you 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 uh learned that as well and put it into practice yeah absolutely i've always kind of lived by um a wish without a day or a goal without a daily plan of action is just a wish so you know i can curl up in a ball and like please clients come in. But if I'm not doing anything to make it happen, that's just a wish. Yep. Um, yeah. But the resilience um, turned out I needed it because, you know, 2020 started the, um, so I ended up actually also going through a divorce during that time, same time frame as I was mm. trying to save my company. And then on a ski trip, I tore my ACL in meniscus. So my first, um, you know, month as a single mom, I'm post-surgery, unable to walk or drive. So oh my. I just look, that's how I joke that like 2019, Lauren thought not summiting Killy was the worst thing that could ever happen, <clears throat> but it was just great training for what was to come. Wow. Wow. Uh, lots to navigate there. Um, um, and congratulations on, on your perseverance and, and, uh, uh, growing in the way you have both personally and professionally. Uh, that's, 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 um, awesome. Um, so let's, let's talk uh, before we leave what you did in building your senior care practice. Um, let's maybe use that industry as an example and talk about crisis communications and some of the tips that you give um, and guidance you give to your clients on how to effectively communicate in a crisis. Absolutely. I love, um, you know, I, it's sort of like good devil, you know, devil on one shoulder, angel on the other. Like I love crisis communications work, but I always hate, hate it when a client calls with one, right? Because mm. it means they're in, they're in a crisis, mm -hmm. but um, that's the sort of work I really thrive on. And it's honestly, a lot of people overthink it, but it's, it's tell the truth. It's be honest and be direct and figure out the best way to get in front of all of your stakeholders. And what a lot of people don't do is take the time to narrow down all of their stakeholders. So for a senior living community, for example, you know, it's the operator or the operator. It's then the vendors and partners they might be bringing in and working with. It's their um, residents. 
it's their residents' loved ones who that's a really important stakeholder because they're generally the ones managing the care, footing the bill, things like that. Um, So there's just so many, there's the employees. So what you really need to do is look at each stakeholder separately and almost have a mini plan. Mm-hmm. And we do it here. We lead our clients through it by asking one question. Um, we call it, you know, just a brand filters exercise. And it's how do you want each audience to look at you and what do you want them to say about you when the pandemic's over? So, you know, I'll use my company as an example because I did this exercise with me, um, my partner and I did it. And, you know, I wanted them to say, so we set three to five brand filters and they were examples. Um, some examples would be, you know, I took care of my team to the best of my ability. I was open and honest with them. Um, I wanted our clients to say when I did our client stakeholder audience, I wanted them to say that we were a rock and a guiding light through a difficult time and that we were able to seamlessly, you know, transition during the pandemic. And so once you narrow those down, and this is a really great, simple exercise I encourage everybody to do, look at, look at your audiences, the work you do in your business on a day-to-day basis, write down everyone it impacts, and then write down what you want them to think about you. You know, let's say we're not during a, say it's not even during a crisis, but like five years from now. And then um, once we had those three to five filters, you know, we have them for each client, but for the company, I'll talk about that because that's what I can speak to is everything I did during the pandemic with these audiences, I I printed it out. I had them on my desk, you know? So before I got on an account, our Monday morning staff meeting, and we were actually having daily huddles at the beginning of the pandemic where I, I would just be full transparency with our team, you know, XYZ left, but we landed ABC over here. And like, they always knew where we stood and where they stood, Mm -hmm. but I would look at those brand filters and make sure, you know, any email I'm sending, anything I'm saying aligns with how I want my team to feel about the company after the pandemic is over. So I guess let's talk a little bit more about, uh, that whole process and culture. I mean, you're kind of getting into it when you talk about transparency with your team and that kind of thing, but just talk about cultivating culture and how you did that internally, but what you counsel your clients on too. Absolutely. And it's, it's very similar, you know, really figure out what matters to them. And it's often not what you think at all. Um, One thing I'm learning um, about, and I I say, you know, the millennial generation, I am one full disclosure, but I'm like the oldest one. (laughs) So I don't, I don't fully identify with everything. You're a senior millennial, huh? I am a senior millennial. Okay. Yes. Um, So I was born in 82, but it's really about knowing what's important and what moves people. And then just building a plan around that. I think a lot of times with culture, with marketing, with PR, a lot of people overthink it when really it's who do I need to impact and how do they like to be impacted? And then what can I do as a company to influence that? So with my team, it was really important that they had open and honest communication. Um, And we counseled all of our clients with that because for 
all we were seeing in the mainstream media was small businesses are going over, hearing all about the PPP, no one's getting it, this and that. So like that process, you know, we took PPP money the first round and I, my team, we represent a bank. So they were hearing all about it, the ins and outs anyways. But I was telling them every day, like how this worked and where we were and the applications in, but this isn't. And um, it's all about the transparency, I think, to where they know where they stand. And I had some, you know, peers say, well, aren't you worried if they know, you know, the business is in trouble, they're going to leave. But for me, um, I'd be, I just, they have that right to know where the business stands. Mm. And if I wanted them to see where we were, but alongside that, everything we were doing as a leadership team. So really, because we did that, it, it really built our culture even more, you know, toward the end. And another kind of sidebar of that is it was a pandemic. Nobody was really hiring. So yeah, I, I didn't worry as much about that. But, you know, right now we're still very open, you know, with our finances. If we have a down month or something, we're very open about that mm-hmm. uh, because it's just it's a fact. It's business. It's data. And it shows everyone how they can influence the company and make an impact. Sure. And and you you. um I think that transparency or that, that default that you made toward transparency, I I should say, uh, really results from, I'm guessing culture that you really had in place before you hit this crisis. Right. I mean, because it's hard (laughs) when you're a deer in the headlights, shall we say to suddenly, (laughs) right, right. And so I guess that gets around to, preparing for a crisis. Yes. So talk about how you counsel your clients to prepare for a crisis. Absolutely. So um, crisis communications, we kind of joke, is one area where just having a little bit of anxiety serves you really well. (laughs) So, um, you know, my partner and I, we've had a written um, recession plan for years mm. for, you know, if we hit another recession or if business drops, you know, just a business continuity plan, you know, every year we have several tiers of our budget, you know, if we hit this, this is what happens, this, this, and this. So because we did all of that, and because we've done that with a lot of our clients, those who already had that lined up, were prepared to act accordingly. So we were able to immediately act and focus on reaching out to senior living community instead of sitting there and thinking, oh my gosh, our revenue's down. What, what do we cut? Where do we go from here? We had all of that in place already. It was just a matter of, I mean, and I have it every budget number, like what our salary load should be. And when it gets out of whack is when we have to start making decisions. So we already had all of that. So we were able to really just focus on marketing and doing the next right thing for the company. Um, But that's my biggest advice is have everything, have a plan in place. And it can just be the bones of a plan because you don't know during a specific crisis. I can't tell you now if, you know, a client's going to have a crisis 18 months from now, who the best spokesperson is, right? But we can have a list of, you know, three key spokespeople and make sure they're all media trained already. And then depending on the issue, 
already have someone equipped. So it's all about preparation. And we actually, I don't know if it's on our website anymore, but um, if anyone emails me, I've got like a how to do your own crisis plan sort of outline that I'm happy to email to anyone. So Awesome. Uh, that's a great offer uh, from Lauren Reed uh, with Reed Public Relations. She's president and founder there. Lauren, let's talk, let's widen this lens out a little bit and talk generally about the state of small business in Nashville. You're involved there in a lot of different ways beyond just running your own business. Uh, you, you're involved with entrepreneurs organization, uh, an, an, a number of different industry organizations. Talk about what you see right now with, with small business. Yeah. yeah. Oh, small business in Nashville. It is a great place to be. I, I just, I'm so grateful every day that, you know, I'm a Nashville native and this is where I'm growing my business. It's, if you were to look out my window, you would see cranes everywhere. And that's Nashville right now. We're growing, growing, growing. And, you know, we had a lot of small businesses that didn't survive the pandemic, but we had, I think, more that did. And that's really exciting because we have such um, a strong tourism culture that, I mean, new people. So, Gibson Guitar, you know, is a client and they're coming into town and opening a new location. So it's people are still coming to Nashville. People want to be in Nashville. Our real estate market is off the hook right now. Um, so it's um, I have friends who are just listing their houses just to see what they can get and getting like three, four hundred over, you know, what the value was a year ago. Wow. It's, it's kind of crazy because we we're just getting a lot of people moving in from California, New York. But the market here is good. It is strong, and we are so proud to be a part of it. So, let's let's talk about your involvement briefly, if we can, uh, with uh, Entrepreneurs Organization and and uh, what 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 y'all done to help your uh, members here over the last year. Oh, uh, yes, absolutely. I cannot imagine having gotten through the last year without EO. So um, a backbone of entrepreneurs organization, a big part of your membership is your forum, which is your group of, let's say, seven to nine other small business owners that you meet with on a monthly basis. And when this hit, my forum actually started meeting weekly for an hour at a time on Zoom. And we all walked each other through what was going on. And, you know, it was really great to have people in the same situation as me, but also you just, you learn from being around other business owners and how they do things. So, you know, I have a senior living operator in my forum, which was, you know, integral to our pivot to that industry. He was a huge help. And, you know, it's my interactions with him that sort of gave me the aha moment of these are people who need us right now. But aside from the forum, our chapter was great. I'm going to brag a little bit about Nashville, but we're consistently one of the top EO chapters in the world Mm. um, in far of numbers and engagement and things like that. And um, I believe we also have the highest percentage of women or we're close if we don't. So we have, I think nearly 50 women. So, which is just so cool to me, but they were just consistently bringing in the right speakers, not just for us, but for our families. Like at one point they brought in 
a marriage and family therapist talking about how to keep your family strong during the pandemic. They had lots of things um, that were geared towards, you know, so me along with the rest of the country, our kids were suddenly virtual. So, you know, there was lots of learnings on how to deal with that while still running your business and how to deal with, you know, everyone working from the same house at the same time. So even just the practical things that we were all experiencing, EO was amazing. That's great. Uh, uh, what, what, a, what a nice shout out. And why don't you quickly give um, coordinates for folks that have heard something there, they want to get involved with EO, tell them how they can do that. We've got more to talk to you about, but let's, let's give the quick shout out. Absolutely. Um, so I believe it's entrepreneursorganization.com. Um, I don't know our exact website, but that should be it. Or it might be eonetwork.com. Okay. Um, if you just Google entrepreneurs organization um, and your city, you should be able to see, you know, if a chapter comes up, you know, if you're listening in Nashville, you're welcome to reach out to me. Um, we do have a webpage. It's eonashville.com. Okay. And we take members twice a year. And then if you don't have, if you haven't reached the million dollar threshold in annual revenue yet, we have a program called EO Catalyst where um, the levels are, the requirement is I think a quarter of a million dollars in annual revenue. Mm -hmm. And it's really steered toward growing you to that million dollar mark. Mm. And I actually joined Catalyst when my business was a year old. And so I've been connected with EO for a while and it was just, it was a game changer for me. Wow. Awesome. Um, so Lauren, let's, let's get back to, uh, uh, your firm, read public relations, you know, talk about the kind of clients that you work with. Who's a good fit for you? Absolutely. So we do a lot of crisis. We talked about that already. Mm-hmm. Um, consumer PR, we do some B2B Our really our kind of tagline We don't use it a lot. It might be on our website, but it's every brand is local. So really our client, our core client can be any brand that needs to share a message locally. But by local, we mean within local markets where we really excel is the multi-unit, multi, you know, chain sort of thing, restaurants, things like that, where there's this core brand from corporate. However, there's So Orange Theory Fitness is an example, right? They have a very defined brand. But then when they're coming to Nashville and opening up multiple locations, you have to respect that brand while also putting in some local flair and realizing what resonates in Nashville. Because it might be different. It it not might be. It is different from what would resonate in, let's say, Connecticut or Idaho or California. Sure. So it's really knowing how to take that national brand or global brand and localizing it. So the sorts of clients we look for are the ones who give us the opportunities to do that. And um, we're a full service marketing PR agency. So basically that means we handle everything except your website. We're not going to develop it for you, hmm. but we'll write the copy and we'll manage the process. <laughs> uh, that That's terrific. Now let's talk about maybe if you, are willing to share a success story. Obviously you don't have to mention any names un- un- unless you're able to do that, but uh, love it. If you could give us uh, someone who's inter- who who has benefited because of your intervention. Absolutely. I'll talk about 
of Charlie's. So we're not working with them. That was a, um, yeah, another kind of pandemic goodbye we had to make, but we, we worked with them previously for eight years and they came to us and said, Hey, you know, we're opening or we're re-imaging all of our restaurants over the next several years. And we want to do a ribbon cutting at each one. And we were like, okay, I don't know if that's the best strategy here. So let's talk about it. And they were so open to ideas. And basically what we explained was, let's say use Nashville as an example. You're renovating seven, eight different locations. You want to do a ribbon cutting at each one. Why? And so start from the back. And it's, well, they wanted to get people in to see the renovation. They wanted to showcase their new menu items. And they wanted... um, to be positioned as a contributing member of the local community. So through working with them and a lot of, you know, live ideation and back and forth, we collectively with O'Charlie's came up with the hometown heroes program. So instead of just going in and renovating, you know, doing a ribbon cutting with a local chamber or something, we actually honored a member of the local community. Um, It was military focused. So by doing that, we were able to typically get, you know, the small town mayor in to talk about, this person, we got the community in, we gave a celebration to whoever the honoree was. And so we met all of our clients' goals, plus got media coverage. Um, So that's really one we're quite proud of. I mean, that was a multi-year campaign. There's a case study on our website, I believe, talking more about it. But it's just, it's an example of how we really like to start from what are your goals and maybe what you think you need isn't exactly what you need. Well, I love that story because um, what what I'm hearing you say is it's amazing what happens if you decide to serve the community as opposed to make it about yourself, right? right. I mean, that's really what you did was shift the perspective. Uh, and it's not that they didn't want to serve the community, but they started right, and they started out from you know let's do something that let's talk about us. But what mm-hmm. you did was hey let's. Uh, get them to think about let's serve. And if you serve, the community will give back to you. Absolutely. Um, so that's actually cause related marketing and we mm. have a whole service line where we develop programs like that for our clients. And it's a really, really special thing to get to be a part of. That's awesome. Uh, wow. What a great story from Lauren and Reed folks, uh, president and founder of Reed public relations. Lauren, this has been fabulous. And I would love it if you could, uh, we've got to get the most important question, which is, uh, folks that have heard something that makes them want to get in touch with you, um, tell them how they can do that. What are your coordinates? Absolutely. Uh, so read R E E D public com is our website. If you want to reach out to me directly, it's Lauren L A U R E N at read public com. You can shoot me an email and um, let's see, we're on Instagram. It's at read underscore PR. I really don't know our Twitter handle right now. We're not very active on that. Um, and then on Facebook is read public relations. So you can find us any of those ways. We're always happy to chat. That's great. Lauren Reed, uh, read public relations. Lauren, thank you so much for coming on the show. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. Yes. So folks, just a uh, request. Uh, you've heard Lauren's story and we go out of our way to feature 
the stories of great business leaders like Lauren. So if you want to do them a favor, go to your favorite podcast app, search Nashville Business Radio, subscribe to that show, our show, and give us a five-star review. Now, that sounds like it's about me or Business Radio X, and it's not. What we really want is for people to find the show so they can find the services or find great business leaders like Lauren and potentially use their services. So we would love it if you could do that for us uh, and help us out uh, in that regard. And if you uh, uh, are interested in the show, want to know more about the show, you can email me directly, uh, J-R-A-Y, uh, J-Ray at businessradiox.com. Uh, you can also go to NashvilleBusinessRadioX.com and find our show archive there and find some of the great business leaders that we've had on the show. So for my guest, Lauren Reed uh, with Reed Public Relations, I'm John Ray. Join us next time here on Nashville Business Radio.